Welcome to the Healthy Skin Show with Jennifer Fugo, where we're flipping everything you've been told about your chronic skin issues upside down and connecting you with alternative solutions your dermatologist never told you about. Welcome back to episode number 239 of the Healthy Skin Show. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about a topic that I hope I am not alone on. I don't think I'm alone on, but I thought this was a really fascinating conversation to have specifically around how exactly are you supposed to take care of the skin on your face and your neck? To be honest, my mother was not really into skincare, so I didn't learn it from her and I didn't have a bunch of girlfriends who were super into skincare either. And as I've gotten older, I see all of these two-step, three-step, five-step, six-step skincare routines, and frankly, I find it extremely overwhelming. I'm not sure what exactly I'm supposed to do, and so the person that I thought who was the best individual to go to to ask this about is Rachel Pontillo. You guys know her. She's been on the show a number of times, and I have to tell you, I thought I knew some things, but this conversation actually was incredibly enlightening. So it's my hope that it will also help you better support your face and your neck in terms of skincare long term so that you know the right steps and what's safe, what's not safe, what's appropriate, what's not, what's just simply marketing and what will actually be helpful for you. If you have not, for whatever reason, heard Rachel here on The Healthy Skin Show, allow me a moment to introduce her. She is a holistic skincare innovator, author, and educator. She's the best-selling author of the book, Love Your Skin, Love Yourself. And she's also a functional nutrition practitioner as well as a board-certified international health coach, licensed esthetician, and natural skincare formulator and educator. She's the president and co-founder of the Nutritional Aesthetics Alliance, the creator of the popular skincare healthy lifestyle blog called Holistically Hote, as well as the much-loved online course Create Your Skincare. She's an avid herbalist, skincare ingredient aficionado, and lifelong learner, and she is also a favorite guest here on the Healthy Skin Show. So let's dive into part one of this two-part conversation. Rachel, I am so glad to have you back, especially with today's topic, because I feel like you're my go-to person for all things skincare, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So thanks for being here. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's always, always a pleasure. All right. So I'm going to admit to everyone here that I am not a skincare expert. I think you all have probably heard me say this before. I'm not. That's why I have Rachel on the show. That's why I have actually worked with Rachel. Rachel has helped me with my own skin. And I think maybe part of the reason that I've always had like a not so great relationship, especially with the skin on my face, which is what most of us like are usually worried about the most, except if we have severe rashes someplace else, it's obvious, is that growing up, my mother was not super into skincare. Um, I had acne as a teenager. And I was told to use Cetaphil to wash my face and I wasn't super into makeup and whatnot. So I never really got beyond the you wash your face 
part of skincare. And I think that's where a lot of the confusion came about. So for anybody listening who's been like, oh, I understand that. I don't understand these like systems and sequences of steps. And how do you do that? So wait, do you, you wash your face and then you put moisturizer on it? You're supposed to do stuff before that? Like, we're going to demystify this today. I know this is a little bit different of a topic, but I think it's worthwhile to have the conversation because many of us have sensitive skin issues or skin problems. And so I thought Rachel could help us learn how do we, just from a very simplistic uh, perspective, how do we take care of our fa- the skin on our face and on our neck, which I really have always had questions about, but yeah. we're going to talk about that today. So thanks, Rachel. What? So what are your thoughts on that? Like th- those of us who are not really that tuned in and know how to do all of this with our skincare routine. Okay. Well, first of all, I want to say that I do feel overall that most people overcomplicate their skincare routines. Mm -hmm. And especially if you're someone who struggles with any type of skin condition, like acne, like eczema, psoriasis, or just sensitivity, dryness, anything like that, there's a good chance that you've been told you've got to use all these products and this big system and the products are formulated to work together and blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you that most often, it's overkill and it's probably exacerbating the problem because, you know, the industry wants you to keep buying products. So Mm, unfortunately, a lot of the products that are in kind of big cosmetics are intended to create some sort of a temporary visual effect so that you think you're getting results. But in the long run, it's not doing you any good because they want you to keep buying products. So I cannot tell you how many times when I work with a client whose skin is very angry, irritated, dry, anything like that, whether they have an active condition or not, usually the first thing we do when we look at their skincare products is, you know, I ask, well, why are you using this? And what is it doing for you? Because sometimes people have like, an emotional attachment to a brand or an emotional attachment to an idea. You know, you mentioned your mom wasn't really into skincare. Well, some, sometimes if someone's mom was really into skincare, they grow up with this idea that they have to use all this stuff where the truth is that it's often either not the right routine for that person or it's just overkill. So I really like to strip it down to basics for people and focus on giving them what they need to support their skin as it is now, while also gently working to help them topically to get the hydration, the nourishment and protection they need. Because skincare really is an inside out and outside in job. You've got to really address it both ways because the skin is our first defense against the elements, right? Especially the skin on our face because it's exposed. Whereas the skin on our body is usually covered in, in, you know, most, most climates. Um, It's usually covered and it's also the epidermal layers are thicker. Whereas on the skin, it's thinner, it's exposed, and we, we just tend to do more to it. So I like to really start with, encouraging people to take a lighter hand. I think that um, over cleansing 
and over exfoliating is a big root cause topically for many people. And I think because a lot of the cleansers on the market are they're harsh. They're, they're made with, you know, mostly water, then usually some sort of a synthetic detergent to get that foaming action. And we've been sold this whole notion that skin has to be squeaky clean. Otherwise you're not clean and nobody wants to be thought of as unclean, God forbid. But the fact of the matter is, is that science has shown us that, hi, we have a microbiome and we don't want to strip away all of the bacteria and microorganisms that are living on the surface because they're actually there to help us. And aside from the microbiome, the skin also has what's called a lipid barrier, which is basically, you know, what we see here is keratin cells that have flattened and kind of died off, but they stay on the surface to protect us. And they're held together by this lipid matrix. There are other things in there too, like sweat and um, other substances, but we have sebum, which is the oil that our skin naturally produces. There are ceramides, um, types of cholesterol that are also in that lipid barrier that are there to kind of act as not only glue to keep that armor of those dead cells there until our body tells us and signals that it's naturally time for them to slough off, but it also helps to seal in whatever hydration is in the cells in the deeper layers of the epidermis because without that hydration, the cells can't function properly. And a lot of people believe that the epidermis, which is the outermost layer of the skin, is only these dead cells that are meant to fall off but that's not true. There are other important cells that rest in the lower layers of, of the epidermis that have a lot to do with immune support, with pigmentation, and they have a lot of important things to do while they're rising to the surface. So that lipid barrier keeps our natural moisture in and it also helps to keep things from the environment that are harmful to our skin out. And if we're constantly using cleansers that have those detergents in them, or we're using high alkaline soaps, or we are using um, exfoliants, whether our cleansers have some sort of enzyme or alpha hydroxy acid, or even a manual exfoliant like a scrub, if we're doing that on a daily basis, we are stripping away that barrier constantly, leaving the skin susceptible to environmental damage, as well as dehydration. So from a practical perspective, just in talking about cl um, cleansing your skin, yes. uh, obviously cleanser for everyone who's listening is going to vary based right. off of a variety of factors. So like, for example, people are always asking me, what do you use to wash your face? And I'm like, I don't know if what I use personally yeah. is appropriate for you. And actually, you have helped me also realize that my skincare routine, especially what I'm using to wash my face, has to change with the seasons because yeah. what I use in like kind of spring, summer into kind of like fallish when it's warm draw, overly dries my face as winter yeah. sets in because we live, you and I both live in a, a, an area where there are four seasons. Correct. And so what works for me doesn't work for somebody else. So like, for example, I use a bar soap for those of you yep. listening. If you're like, what a bar soap, I had the same thought when Rachel made this I'm suggestion so glad you to me that up because it's one of my favorite things to talk about. So let's talk about that. There's, so there's 
a bar soap is a cleanser. There's yep. those milk cleansers, which is what I used to use that got me in a lot of trouble with my skin. Um, yeah. Then there's oil cleansing. Mm-hmm. Like, can we talk? And then there's foaming ones. So what are the difference yeah. between those? Okay. So there's a lot of different types of cleansers. I'm going to start by talking about the bar soaps because there is this huge notion that soap is bad for your skin. And I mean, we have a whole cosmetics industry and this whole idea of non-soap cleansers, soap-free cleansers being better. Body wash came out of that whole idea that soap is bad. Not all soaps are the same. That's really important to understand because the soaps that are the mass produced conventional synthetic soaps that maybe you see on tv um or you see at the drugstore or even the grocery store the way those have been made is not the same as how in a handmade kind of plant-based soap would be made the ingredients are very different so a conventional soap is going to have oils that are usually petrochemicals like mineral oil or white petroleum. So basically baby oil and Vaseline is what they use. And oh my. Yeah. So it doesn't mean necessarily that those are bad. It just means that they don't provide any actual nutrients to the skin. So when they are saponified, saponification is the process where you add an alkali, typically sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide to a fat and that mineral oil or the white petroleum would be that fat, it causes a chemical reaction that turns the fats into soap and then it also produces glycerin. Glycerin is something that is a humectant. It is also a lower pH. It has very gentle cleansing properties and it can be separated out from that soap mix. However, you don't wanna do that because the glycerin provides hydration. It's soothing, it's softening, it's conditioning, and it also helps to prevent that pH from getting so alkaline that it can actually be damaging. So when you have um, a conventional soap, what they do is they actually treat it so that the glycerin separates away from the rest of the soap And sometimes, I mean, they'll save it, and sometimes you can make a glycerin soap itself, or they'll use the glycerin for other things. Glycerin has a lot of different uses. Um, And glycerin will also be different depending on what it's been made from. So the reason they do that, though, is because soap has to cure for usually a month before it can be used. Okay? Wow. Yeah, it has to harden, it has to, that saponification process, it becomes less and less kind of irritant, that alkali neutralizes over time, and then you can use it. So if you're making your own soap, or if you purchase soap that's made traditionally, it usually cures for about a month, but in mass production, they don't have time for that. So they strip out the glycerin, which is that moisture, so that the other components of the soap dry fast and dry hard. So what you're left with is something that will give you very good foaming action, very good cleansing, but it's very, very drying, not to mention alkaline. All soaps are a little bit alkaline. That's important to say. While handmade soaps can be manipulated to be a little bit less alkaline, it can't be completely neutral or acidic. Otherwise, you don't have soap anymore. You just have oils. And can I ask you really quick, because I had that one client who had come to me using glycerin, a glycerin bar, as her 
face wash and I was like I don't I don't know see you guys like I don't know everything this is why I I have friends like Rachel and I was like Rachel what is this a like good thing to use on your face and she's like oh let me tell you so it yeah. are is a glycerin bar obviously we want to be careful it sounds like from a conventional standpoint of what glycerin is made from but if you right. found someone who was hand making like a glycerin bar would that possibly be an, a good option for somebody with very sensitive i hate to use that term sensitive skin I but know. Maybe yeah. more dry skin and you need some more hydration from when you wash your face? Yeah, so glycerin itself is a pretty powerful humectant. So it does have the ability to bring water into the skin. It also is very softening and conditioning. So when you wash your face with glycerin, whether it's a glycerin bar soap or if you just buy vegetable glycerin as a liquid, you can use that to cleanse with. Some people mix that with honey. Some people mix that with some other things or aloe or something, and they make their own cleanser just out of that. Um, it is very softening. However, it's not as strong in its cleansing properties. So while it might be good if you're someone who doesn't wear makeup um, or you're not doing anything that is making your skin all that dirty, then you might not need that cleansing effect. But if you are someone who wears makeup, glycerin soap is probably not going to remove that makeup unless it also has some sort of a surfactant built into that soap. There are a lot of soaps that um, are on the market that are kind of known as beauty bars. Um, Dove soap is actually a really great example of that because it's known to be a better soap for the skin because I think it's pH is around six, but Dove soap is actually not soap. There, there, it's, it's not, not. Nope, it is surfactants and oh. <laughs> synthetically made fatty acids. So when they say there's like lotion in it, it's basically synthetic fatty acids that are mixed with water, and then there are surfactants, which are synthetic detergents that have been added to give it the foaming nature. So you're getting the moisture from the synthetic fatty acids in the water, and you're getting the foaming action from those surfactants, which surfactants are a type of detergent that what they do is basically, if you imagine the surface of your skin, and there's like that lipid barrier, which, you know, any dirt or makeup will be in that lipid barrier it basically separates the dirt from the skin below and unfortunately usually washes away those lipids mm -hmm. but because it does have those fatty acids in it 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 is a little bit more gentle on the lipid barrier in that way but it's not a true soap because it's not actually a saponified fat product oh. so Boy, That's see? why they're able to have a lower pH. Yes. Um, you guys, this is like seriously why. So a lot of my um, very tricky clients that are like reacting to everything. <laughs> Rachel is kind enough to, to do consultations with them. I send them to Rachel because she, see, I didn't know any of this. She knows. This is the benefit of having somebody that's so well-versed. And, and, and it's an interesting gift that you have that you've spent a long time honing too, Rachel, and learning all of this about how to take care of different forms of skin and looking at these various different factors to help somebody pick the right type, especially when they're going through like a crazy flare or something like that. How do you pick the right products? And, and 
to be honest with you, you guys, we're not even talking about a flare here. We're just talking about how do you take care of your skin when it isn't all broken out? So, all right. So the Dove soap has, is a surfactant. Then we've got yes. the foam cleansers and milk cleansers. Yes. So any cleanser that has any type of foaming action either has a soap or a surfactant in it. And I don't want the idea to come across that all surfactants are bad. They're not. There are plenty of surfactants that are plant-derived, that are non-toxic, and that are non-irritant. There are four different categories of surfactants. I'm not going to get into the whole chemistry thing of it here, but... The main point is some of them are very harsh, very irritant. Um, sodium laureth sulfate, sodium laurel sulfate are two of the most skin and eye irritant surfactants that are still being used in cosmetics. Um, I do recommend people avoid those because there is enough science showing that they cause detriment to the skin more than they cause benefit. And most people do not need that powerful of a surfactant or a detergent action on their face. They just don't. It's too far too drying, too irritant. So there are other surfactants that are used in cream cleansers, milk cleansers. Um, if you've heard of micellar water, that's a really common product that's used to remove makeup. It originated in France as this very, very big trend. It looks like either water or like the consistency of, um, I would say like skim milk almost. And what it is, is a humectant like a glycerin or like aloe vera gel plus water or a hydrosol can be used. And then a very specific type of surfactant, which creates a chemical reaction that provides enough oil to remove the makeup, but enough water to make it feel very refreshing. So it's almost like washing your face with water or skim milk. That's what it feels like. But that's really great for removing eye makeup remover. It's great if you like the idea of using oils to cleanse your face, but you don't like the feeling of using oils to cleanse your face. So that's something that um, is good. I would just make sure that if you do purchase a micellar cleanser on the market, make sure that it's fragrance free and um, as few ingredients as possible because some of them are a little a little um, overly complicated for my dodgy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, regular milk and cream cleansers are basically a cream or a lotion that you would use as a moisturizer with a surfactant added. So you would take one of those surfactants that I mentioned um, that are on the more gentle side and you would add that to a regular cream or lotion formula. So that's, you know, if you can tolerate a cream or a lotion, technically you would be able to tolerate a milk or a cream cleanser. And the good thing about that is that the surfactant in it will cleanse the oils in it will help to remove whatever makeup or any, um, dirt that is oil loving oil, um, lipophilic from the skin without stripping it away because it's actually putting oil back in and it's also you're having the benefit of the hydration because all creams and lotions are emulsions which are a mix of water and oil um so 
cream and milk cleansers I really like for people who have drier skin. I don't really like cleansers that are like a gel base if you have either irritated skin, broken skin or dry skin because it's not putting any oil in and it's just taking things away. Um, so even, I know a lot of people who have acne or eczema are told that they maybe shouldn't put certain oils on their skin. So they're given these gel cleansers. We all need both water and oil on our skin. And if we are stripping all that away with our cleanser, then we have to like put it back artificially with moisturizers. And we don't really need to do that because our skin has it naturally. So I like to just cleanse away what our skin doesn't need, but keep what it mm. makes that it does need that's there for a purpose. Yeah. And you were saying um, too, there are some ingredients that are added to cleansers. Yes. That should not be added to cleansers because, well, you, you, you take it away. Well, let me tell you something about cleansers. It seems really obvious, but a lot of people just kind of forget about this when they're buying products that are maybe like in a system or something like that. Your cleanser is going down the drain. It's also staying on your skin for a matter of seconds. It is not there to actually cause any therapeutic effect. So when I see cleansers that contain really expensive oils like argan oil or rosehip oil or active ingredients like retinol or vitamin C or green tea extract or anything like that, I think to myself, why? That They're just charging you more money. It's usually in there just so that they can charge you more money. It's not cleansing your skin better. It's not staying on the skin long enough to produce any beneficial effect. It's, it's being washed off. So if you're going to buy products that have expensive oils or butters or performance ingredients or vitamins or herbs, keep that for a leave on product, like a serum and a carrier oil itself that's been infused with herbs or a moisturizer that contains those. Save, do not spend a lot of money on your cleanser. I would rather see people wash their face with plain old honey and remove makeup with a plain old oil like olive oil or jojoba oil than to spend you know 20 30 40 dollars on a cleanser just because it has all this stuff in it it is completely a waste of money thank you thank you yeah. i hope this saves everyone who's listening like now you can be smart you see those crazy ingredients in your cleanser you're like nope gonna put that so back. unnecessary <laughs> don't waste your money and okay so i have to ask do you wash your neck or do you just wash your face that's a great question. Um, the neck is really important because it's as exposed as the face is, but I think a lot of people ignore it. So I do recommend washing the neck with whatever cleanser you're using to wash your face, not whatever you're using to cleanse your body, because most of the body washes or body soaps are a little bit stronger. They're for skin that's a little tougher and that isn't as exposed, okay? So I recommend whatever you use on your face, you can also use on your neck. You don't have to buy any separate neck products or anything like that. I know that there are like neck creams and neck serums and all that. That's just marketing. Whatever you use on your face, you can use on your neck and it is beneficial to do that. Um, I will show you just quickly when you're working on the neck, you want to be working in gentle downward strokes. You don't want to be going up because the lymphatic flow is going down. So you want to be supporting that so wash just very gently with gentle downward strokes. And then for the face, you can kind of come up 
on the jawline and up, up and out for the face, but downward strokes for the neck. Fair enough. All right. So we washed the face. Now we've got step one going, washed off the cleanser, whatever you chose to use. And then you had me, you said, Jen, well, you need to use a toner of some sort. And I'm like, a toner? Don't those sting? Like, I I don't know. My experience with toners must not have been good earlier in life. Mine wasn't either. Not going to lie. What is a toner? And can we talk about the differences? Because I came to learn from working with you that, like, for example, we ended up doing a hydrosol for my skin, but but using it as like a toner. So can we talk a little bit about that? This would be step two. Absolutely. So after you cleanse, it is a good idea to use a toner. The main purpose is to kind of help bring the pH back down because whether you're using a non-soap type cleanser or an oil or a regular soap-based cleanser, the pH of water is already higher than what the pH of the skin is. The skin's pH is more acidic and it needs to be that way because that's what its microbes need in order to thrive. So, you know, we all wash with water, so we're all going to be exposed to that higher pH. And if we're using a higher pH cleanser, that can kind of throw things off. So the toner is a little bit more acidic, not super acidic to the point where it burns. Some of the old fashioned toners really were, they were super acidic. And then they had other really drying ingredients like alcohol in them, which really made people have dry and sensitive skin, which is kind of how toner got a bad rap. But really the purpose of a toner is to help kind of refresh it after cleansing and reset that pH. And a toner can stay on the skin or it can be wiped away. Um, A hydrosol, which is a product that comes from steam distilling plants. When you make essential oils, you one way to do it is by steam distillation where you put the plant matter in this big copper or glass still you boil water under it, steam carries the volatile compounds and the water-soluble compounds up and over. It condenses again and separates out into essential oils. And then the hydrosol is the water that comes from it condensing. So the hydrosol has a lot of the benefits that essential oils have, but it's a lot less concentrated, but it's still aromatic. So if you like the smell of say lavender hydro- lavender essential oil, lavender hydrosol smells the same way, but you can use it a lot more liberally. You don't have to worry about dermal limits. It's um, safe for pets, safe for children. And it's also a water-based product instead of an oil. So it's something that also is closer to the skin's pH. And um, you're getting not only some of the volatile compounds that are beneficial and therapeutic, but also some of the water-soluble compounds that get carried up in the steam. So you're getting antioxidants, certain vitamins, other nutrients in a hydrosol that you might not necessarily get if you were to just like make an herbal infusion or boil rose petals or something like that, because you're getting the pressure and the heat from the steam in that process. So I really like using hydrosols in toners. There are plants that have naturally astringent properties, which means that they gently encourage firming and tightening, which can be great for people who have redness. Rose hydrosol, for example, is one that naturally is vasoconstricting, which means it gently helps to constrict blood vessels that are distended, but it does so in a way that it's not interfering with the skin's 
natural processes or the natural process of circulation. That's just one of the properties that rose has. And there are other plants that do that too. Cucumber is another one. Um, interestingly, cucumber hydrosol smells like pickle juice. So oh. you, you might have to be careful with that one. <laughs> well, the one thing I did learn, and I think it's worthwhile me mentioning, I had was actually at Whole Foods looking for a hydrosol. Yeah. And I found these hydrosols, which came from like an organic company, but had alcohol in them. And so I just want to make everybody aware of that. You are looking for, and and correct me if I'm wrong, Rachel, but you're looking for a hydrosol if you do purchase one that does not have any preservatives, right? Or or alcohol in it, or talk a little bit about that. Let me pause on that. So it depends on the hydrosol. There are some hydrosols, like rose hydrosol, if it's a very good quality rose hydrosol, it actually inherently has a compound called phenyl ethyl alcohol, which is a naturally occurring antimicrobial. So that might have a longer shelf life than a different hydrosol that does not have that compound. So it really does depend on which hydrosol it is. So it's not uncommon to see a preservative in a hydrosol. Not all preservatives are bad. It is a water. So anytime you have a product with water, that means that the potential for microbial growth is there. So I don't want people getting caught up in this notion that their skincare has to be preservative free and then get something that hasn't been preserved properly. And we we do, by the way, have a whole episode on that, which I will link up in the show notes if you're curious to hear more about that. Yeah. So most hydrosols that you will see in retail will have some sort of preservative in them. Um, Sometimes it might be alcohol. More often, it's going to be something different, something like a bioferment or another type of antimicrobial. Okay. So is it okay then if the hydrosol has alcohol added to it? It's hard to say because it depends on how much alcohol is in it, which we might, we most likely won't know just from reading a label. Typically, alcohol is not the best preservative. It does not offer all that long-term protection. If you are DIYing and you're using like vodka or brandy as a preservative, that'll maybe buy you three months. If, oh, if, if you were making it yourself. Yeah. So, okay. and you would use, you would need to use it at like 15 to 20%. So if you're seeing oh. it on a shelf, it's probably a higher strength alcohol, like an ethanol. And that type of alcohol is more effective, but still not a long-term preservative. So it would need to be used quickly, but also some people do experience dryness and sensitization from alcohol if it's too strong and if it's hit too high a percentage. So it's not my favorite thing to see on shelves. Okay. So we, we apply the hydrosol, we'll just say hydrosol, because which, which hazel is another, I feel like popular toner out there. And which hazel can be found in a hydrosol. Um, It can be obtained via steam distillation. It can also be infused. And witch hazel is also a natural astringent. Some people don't tolerate it, though. So that's important to know. And also, a lot of the witch hazel on the market doesn't just have preservatives, but sometimes it has other stuff mixed into it. So you want to, again, read those labels. It's not uncommon to see witch hazel with some sort of preservative. That's okay if it's a good preservative. You don't want it with, you know, parabens or anything like that. But you don't want to see anything else really added. But a preservative for witch hazel is usually necessary. 
I know it might not seem like we have more to talk about, but we do. Rachel has so much more to share on this. And honestly, this was so helpful for me personally. And I know for many of my clients, this conversation is helpful. So I hope that you are finding it fascinating. If you wanna see the resources that we've already discussed, we've got them in the show notes over at skinterrupt.com forward slash 239. You can also leave your questions and comments over there so we can keep the conversation going. And if you love what we're talking about, please share this episode. Share it in Facebook groups, share it with friends. This is not necessarily condition specific, right? You don't necessarily have to have rashes for this to be applicable. It's such great information. Let others know about it, help them, because obviously not all of us adults are clued into this. I am one of them and I'm getting clued in, thanks to Rachel. And if you love the Healthy Skin Show, you love everything we share, write a review, rate the show, then hit the subscribe button. That way you never miss weekly doses of information like this to help you rebuild healthy skin. And if you're over on Instagram, please let's connect. I'm at Jennifer Fugo. Thanks so much for tuning in and I look forward to seeing you in part two of this conversation.